Welcome to the Lyme 360 podcast for all things related to Lyme disease and other chronic illnesses. I'm Mimi McLean, Mama 5, founder of Lyme 360 and a fellow Lyme warrior. Tune in each week to hear from doctors, health practitioners, and experts to learn about their treatments, struggles, and triumphs to help you on your healing journey. I'm here to heal with you. Before we get started today, I wanted to talk to you about Dr. Bill Rawls. He has written one of my favorite Lyme books, Unlocking Lyme. He's an MD whose life was upended because of Lyme. From this experience, he had to change his practice and figured out how to heal himself. Dr. Rawls has created his own line of herbal supplements that support the immune system as a Lyme warrior. He offers a survey on his website to help determine which supplements you need. Go to Lyme360.com forward slash Dr. Rawls, which is D-R-R-A-W-L-S, to learn more about these amazing herbal protocols I've been using. Welcome back to Lyme 360 Podcast. This is your host, Mimi McLean, and today we have on Bonnie Crater, and she's the co-founder and board of director of Center for Lyme Action. Bonnie also co-founded and co-chaired Bay Area Lyme Foundation. She is going to be talking to us today about her Lyme fly-in that is coming up and she needs your help. To get my Detox for Lyme checklist, go to Lyme360.com forward slash Detox Checklist. Bonnie, thank you so much for coming on. I wanted to get you on because you started the Center for Lyme Action, but you have a kind of timely event coming up that you need people's help. And, and I did it last year. So I'm, I highly recommend it. It was very informative. It was the Lyme fly-in and um, you're doing it again this year. So I would love for you to just first talk about the Lyme fly-in and then we'll go into your organization as well. Okay. So yeah, coming up on February 22nd and 23rd, we are hosting what's called a fly-in. And what a fly-in is, is that we get people that are very interested in advocating for more federal funding for Lyme disease together. And we train everybody so that everybody's singing off the same hymnal, if you will. And we set up meetings with your congressperson, so your representative in the U.S. Congress, and your two senators. And you might have a few more meetings to help other advocates. You're in a group of, you know, typically, you know, two, three, four Sometimes bigger if you're from a state that's really populated and has a Lyme, lot of Lyme advocates. But typically, it's two, three, four people. And you get to talk with the staff members about Lyme disease because a lot of times these are they're young people. They work in these offices and they don't really know much about Lyme disease. So we're educating them. And then that education translates into requests, appropriations requests to increase funding for Lyme and tick-borne disease. So we're not limited just Lyme disease. I say Lyme disease because as kind of a shorthand, but it's really Lyme and tick-borne disease that we're what we're working on. Right. And you know, I think I've learned over the past two years or so doing this that it doesn't take a lot of people reaching out to their congressmen or senators. It only takes like less than 10 or something like that for them to then have it put on their docket to start researching it to bring it to their attention. Right. So it's you might think, oh, my voice doesn't matter, but it really does. Yeah, it's literally a couple people from each state can make a huge, huge difference. And we've been very successful so far. Yeah, so I was going to say, talk about last year, what happened, like just the difference between 2020 and 2021 by doing the Lyme fly-in has really had an impact. Yeah. So we started the organization in FY19, and we had our first fly-in for the FY21 budget. So we started, FY20 was before we started doing anything, and the total Lyme funding was $55 million in the federal government, 
which is, is at, you know, think about, you know, the trillion dollar packages that are being passed. It's a very, very small amount of money. It sounds like a lot of money to, you know, all of us, but it's really a very small amount of money. So our aim was to try to grow that to, you know, a half a billion or a billion. Like that's what, that's what we're trying to do with a theory behind it, right? That the more money that these people in the federal government have, the more things that they can do to help us. But without changes in the budget, like increases in the budget, they literally can't do, their hands are tied. They can't really do anything. So for FY20, was we were at 55 million. For the next year, after a thousand Lyme advocates across the country took various actions, we were at 108 million. And that's almost doubling. So that's kind of cool. For FY22, we've seen increases of 28 million on top of that, which is great. And uh, the FY22 budget hasn't quite been fully approved yet, but it's making its way. So we'll see how that all plays out. But we're now we're back again working on FY23. So wow. you know, it's, it's about consistency, right? Yeah. And it's about getting the message out, like having the Kagan Act, right? Having was she a Congress state congressman or state senator? What yeah, she's a, she's the uh, senator, the senior senator from Maine. Who's the, the the senator that passed? There was someone who passed. Oh yeah, Kay Hagan. So Kay Hagan was the senator from North Carolina, and she passed away from I think it was Powassan virus, but it was a you know tick-borne illness. And Susan Collins and Tina Smith. So Susan Collins is the Republican, and Tina Smith is a Democrat. The cool thing about this is it's all bipartisan. I mean, we're literally bringing people together over Lyme disease. Anyway, so, right. so yeah, which is great. So Susan Collins created this K. Hagan Tick Act. It was actually based on the work that Chris Smith from New Jersey, he's a representative from kind of the middle part of New Jersey. And Chris, bless his heart, has been working on Lyme disease for like a million years. Anyways, he's, he's, he'd, he'd had this, this legislation he'd been trying to pass. Susan Collins kind of picked it up in the Senate. She and Tina Smith were able to partner together. We worked to get over 30 co-sponsors, which is a lot of co-sponsors. So that means that there's enthusiasm to try to get this thing passed. And so they were able to kind of slip it in to the, <laughs> to the, to the appropriations bill. And that was passed in December of 2019. Keep in mind that authorization bills, on average, take seven years to pass. This thing passed in three months. So I just want to say that the work That's amazing. That, yeah, it's amazing. So the, the work that the advocates do, it's very meaningful, and it actually does move the ball. Like, it's mm-hmm. amazing. But we can't, you know, like, we, we can't do it without everybody working on it. So we're just trying to organize and see if we can get a few more people to uh, to join us on February 22nd and 23rd to help us with the ne- this next round of appropriations. Right. And then I also, I did a little digging when I was on the California one last year, and uh-huh. I found out that my senator that I was talking to, his kids had Lyme. Yeah, you'll see that. So you need to like do, do a little research if you're going to call just to find out because that also helps because when you're talking to... Yeah somebody in his office, you can say, and just to let you know, you know, I, I noticed that his kids are struggling with this too, right? There are some yeah. senators and congressmen that have children or their personal experiences with the Lyme. Yeah. And when you talk to the staff or you talk to a senator or a congressperson, you'll find out that they had Lyme disease. It's mm-hmm. very interesting. You know, 476,000 people get Lyme disease every year. That's the current CDC estimate. And so yeah. it's likely that out of the 535 people that are serving us, in Congress, some of them have had Lyme disease or their kids have Lyme disease. Correct. Now, can you talk a little bit about, I know this is not in your wheelhouse or their realm, but I think maybe you'll know the story behind it. I saw that they just proposed a bill to find out, to release, to find out if it was a bioweapon or not. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, that's that was a also a Chris Smith bill. 
And what happened um, was our friend Chris Newby read this awesome book. I know. I, I interviewed her too. It? Yes. And I read it and I interviewed her and I read that book right before COVID started. Oh, yeah. And so right when COVID started, I was like, wait a second. Like, there is just too much similarity. Like, if you haven't read that book, go read it or go listen to my podcast. Whether she, I got off and I was like, oh my God, that was the most awesome podcast. I felt like I was living in a thriller movie. Like, I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. I hope she's wrong. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, it's a, it's a very interesting book. It's definitely a page turner, a combination of thriller and Chris's personal story which is also very interesting. But yeah, so about that. So it all started with the book Bitten and Chris Smith got a hold of the book and he, I guess he must've read it because he initiated this legislation and it was actually included in a recent bill. So the defense department needs to respond to Congress about, about this investigation. So yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm curious. Uh, Yeah. I'm sorry. So tell me about your um, center for Lyme action. Like why did you start it? What's your personal experience? Yeah. So my story is that when my daughter was 11, I was a Girl Scout mom, right? And there were six girls and, and six moms in the Girl Scout troop. And one year, two of the six moms, so 30% of our group were diagnosed with Lyme disease. And they were wow. they had serious, persistent Lyme disease. They were, had very chronic symptoms, crawling out, yeah, can't get to the bathroom, kind of, you know, very, very bad symptoms. And so we were the Girl Scout moms. We were like horrified by all this. We were like, oh my God, our friends are, are really, really sick. And we didn't understand it. So we started a foundation called the Bay Area Lyme Foundation. I live in California. Oh, I didn't realize you were one of the founders for that. I mean, that's an amazing organization too. (laughs) So it started off as this community project because we were the Girl Scout moms. But one of our, the folks that got sick, my really good friend, uh, Lori Woods, she suggested that we actually start a foundation. She said, I come, I, we, my family does foundations. So we should start a foundation to see if we can try to make a difference in this area. And so it started off as a community operation and then uh, grew into a, um, you know, the number one public charity funding Lyme disease research in the country. That's cool. But in my journey, right, is I, Barry Lyme has raised over $35 million for Lyme disease and, you know, funded tons, you know, over a hundred research projects around the country, I realized that it was simply not enough money. Like healthcare and health issues, they require billions to solve mm-hmm. these problems. I yeah. mean, look at the investments that have been made in COVID. So we needed to, as a community, leverage the power of the federal government. So that's why we, we decided to start Center for Lyme Action. And uh, we're very fortunate. We have excellent charter members who are the foundations and and people that are very interested in creating a good diagnostic and therapy and trying to move the ball forward by getting lots of federal funding to add to the mix. Because we need we need lots of different approaches. One approach is not going to work. We need lots of different approaches. So this government approach really works. We use tried, tried and true lobbying techniques. They work, you know, they work for everybody, right? Uh, no, if, you, it's true. if you use a professional approach, and it's worked for us so far. So we're going to keep at it. You know, I personally have a commitment for the next 10 years to work on this. Oh, that's great. That's great. Okay. So for anybody who's listening and who wants to join, um, it's February 10th is the cutoff to join the fly-in. You can register right on their website, which is centerforlimeaction.org. And then if someone is listening to this after the cutoff, is there anything during the year they can be doing to help you? Yeah. So uh, from time to time, if you go to our website and you sign up for our mailing list, 
you'll be added to a list of people that are interested in helping to take action. Take action means from time to time, you click on an email and maybe edit a letter to your congressperson to ask for you know various things. So the latest, latest one we, we did was ARPA-H. So there's an agency called DARPA. It's the Defense right. Advanced Research Project anyway, agency. It's this is where all the cool projects happen in the Defense Department. It's all been the in the things. news quite a bit lately. Yeah. Okay. So they, they invent a lot of things. They invented the internet. We wouldn't have the internet if we had DARPA. Anyway, so <laughs> these types of agencies, there's an there's also an ARPA in the energy department, it turns out. I didn't know that until recently. And now the Biden administration is proposing an ARPA for the health area. So ARPA-H. So one of the things that uh, is interesting is that it was proposed inside of appropriations. So there's two steps, right, for legislation. There's authorization, which says what the Congress wants the, the executive branch to do. And then there's appropriations, which is how, how they're going to fund it. So it's kind of two steps. So the current budget proposal for FY22 that's still in play has this ARPA-H Funding and it's not a small amount of money. It's three billion dollars. Wow! And this could be really great innovation funding, but the way it's been, the way it's been proposed, is that it's been proposed to be part of the NIH. Now, you know, I love the NIH. God bless them, right? <laughs> but you know, they're they're trying their hearts out. But in terms of innovation for Lyme disease. Not, you know, they haven't really come up with some answers for us. Yeah, they have. So, you know, we're tr- we're trying to give them more money so they can try to do more things. But the idea around this art, these ARPA agencies, is all about innovation, and we need lots of innovation in order to solve this very difficult problem, right? Mm-hmm. So we thought, okay, well, and it turned out my representative Anna Eshu. So Anna is a head of the Health Subcommittee in the House, and she proposed some new legislation to have the agency report to. Uh, HHS, the secretary. Now, this is very important because the direction that the agency would operate in is an independent agency. All the, the DARPA, all the ARPA, other ARPA agencies report to the directly to the HHS secretary. And this may sound like, you know, uh, you know, in the weeds government work, but it's really important for the future and also important for Lyme advocates that we that we have the proper structures inside the government. Yeah. And the reason the reason is is that on Tuesday, like literally in a few days, I don't know how long this podcast lasts, but <laughs> when you're going to publish it. But on Tuesday, Anna Eshi's having a hearing to try to have a discussion about whether the the agency should report into NIH or report into the HHS secretary. So there, and you there wanted discussion. to be HHS secretary. You don't. Yeah, and so does Anna Eshi. Okay, good. And so does 47 other co-sponsors. So we initiated an action right um, in January. Mm-hmm. And 331 Lyme advocates wrote a letter to their congressperson saying, we want this to report to HHS secretary because we think that that's the best place to drive innovation, particularly for our particular problem called Lyme and tick-borne disease. So those are the kinds of things that you can do. It doesn't take very long. It took me way longer to explain it. It takes literally five minutes. But if we get, we had 331 people do it. In January, if we had 600 or 1,000, you know, these things are actually meaningful because after we did this, and I don't know if we can take full credit, but after we did this, the number of co-sponsors went from 40 to 47. Oh, right? wow, that's great. It's meaningful, right? Yep. So in order for it to, to actually go somewhere in the house, we need a bit, probably need over 100. So we're kind of halfway there. 
So there'll be more opportunities for more actions like that throughout the year. Okay. That's good to know. Cause I also, you know, I, I see like emails about the tick working group and stuff like that. That wasn't sure if you were a part of that, but I, it, it reminded me your story was like the guy who runs a tick working group doesn't even believe in Lyme disease out of the government. Like whoever that was assigned, like I was sitting in one day and I was listening to it. And this guy like literally doesn't believe in chronic Lyme disease. And you're like, wait, why is he running the tick yeah. working group? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So the tick-borne disease working group is a really important organization because it's one of the very few places where you can have, you have a combination of federal workers and non-feds, mm-hmm. right? Or the yep. non-feds who happen to have a lot of expertise in Lyme disease. Some of us are doctors or PhDs or whatever, or parents who have been studying this for 40 years on this working group. And it's a great, it's a great forum to bring together. There's a report that's created at the end of each two-year period. So the way it was set up is three two-year periods. And so the first report was great and it really helped move the ball forward. And that was um, that was in 2018 that it was published. And we used that report to help push forward the Hagen Tick Act. Mm-hmm. Like that's one mm-hmm. of the things that helped get this thing going. Now, the second, <laughs> what happens is that there's a changing of the guard, right? You can't serve on this thing for six years. You serve on it for two years and then you're out and then you serve on it again and so on. And so the second group had more expertise in rickettsia than Lyme disease in general. And, and so Lyme disease was, not, was, a, was a small part of that report as opposed to ticks and other, other tick-borne mm-hmm. illnesses. And so that one was, that report was honestly like less helpful for our cause because because Lyme disease is actually, you know, 80% of all the vector-borne disease cases right. that are reported. So right. we need, you know, we need a big focus on Lyme disease. Anyway, so that second report, you're right, was not very helpful. <laughs> but we have the we have a, a new team, group three. And okay. group three has a lot of expertise on Lyme disease. Oh, good. Yeah. So I am very optimistic that this third report will be fantastic. The reports come out on the even years. So it's 2018, 2020, and the next one will be 2022. That's this year. Right. And do they use those to help like with funding and make... Yeah, we use it. You use it, we, but... Did, yeah. yeah. You hear uh, Chris Smith promoting his his uh, you know his legislation, and he's on the Zoom. You'll see him. He holds up this report and says, see, you read this, and it's a big, thick report, and it looks great. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> what's, it, what's his personal tie to Lyme? I actually don't know. I have a suspicion, but I, I, um, I'd I rather him say. Yeah, himself. yeah, that's fine. But so yeah. he has something probably personally. I think um, yeah, but I do, he does have a personal connection. Yeah, sure. I thought I heard, had heard that, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. Um, okay, this has been amazing. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you would like to cover about your organization and getting people to help you? Well, as you probably surmised, we are not a protest group. If you want to like hold up signs and. (laughs) No, your strategy, you're all about going and doing like. Yeah. So we're, so there's a role for that, but we don't do that. What we do is we use uh, lobbying techniques to get more money for Lyme disease. And so if you want to be part of that, you know, please join us. We're, we're really excited to have you just go to our website, centerforlimeaction.org. Scroll down to the bottom of the homepage and you'll see a pop-up and just sign up for the mailing list and you'll start receiving requests for actions to get involved. Bonnie, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Each week, I will bring you different voices from the wellness community so that they can share how they help their clients heal. You will come away with tips and strategies to help you get your life back. Thank you so much for coming on and I'm so happy you are here. 
Subscribe now and tune in next week. If you want to learn how I detox and you want to check out my detox for Lyme checklist, go to lime360.com forward slash detox checklist. You can also join our community at Lyme 360 Warriors on Facebook and let's heal together. Thank you.